0: The Holy Gospel according to Mark, the first chapter. Glory Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus and his disciples went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, he entered the synagogue and taught. They were astounded at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Just then there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, A new teaching, and with authority, He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey Him. And at once, His fame began to spread throughout the surrounding region of Galilee. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise, Praise to you, O Christ. Christ. You may be seated. Beloved family of God, grace and peace to you from God, our Creator, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen. I went down a a rabbit hole of sorts this week as I was uh, thinking ahead to the sermon. Uh, This week, uh, uh, a rabbit hole of kind of odd laws that are in effect in different states, different cities around the country. Have you ever seen these things like online? They have the lists of these laws that just seem kind of wild and out of place. So I, I learned this week, and maybe you know this, maybe you don't, I learned that in Montana, it is illegal to give a rat as a present. So if you were thinking of going to Montana, giving someone a rat as a present, I'd advise against it. I learned that in Indiana, you cannot ride a horse above the set speed of 10 miles per hour. So anything underneath 10 miles an hour, you're good, but if you ride a horse above 11 in the state of Indiana, you're breaking the law. I've got to tell you. It's not for the whole state of Minnesota, but I did learn that there is a city ordinance in the, state, or in the city of Minnetonka that says it's illegal for your car tires to deposit mud or dirt on the roadways. <laughs> it's on the books. It's illegal. I don't know what they're going to do in this coming season. It's going to be tough. Right there. The reason I tell you all these things is because both our readings from 1 Corinthians as well as the Gospel of Mark have a a kind of friction between the set laws and the customs of the day and the new thing that God is doing in these communities. We'll start in 1 Corinthians. On the surface, uh, it's about food offered to idols, which may seem to not have much to do with us today, right? But if we just scratch the surface, I think it's about so much more. So one of the things that I learned earlier this month, I had an opportunity to uh, travel through Greece and Turkey, and actually I got to go to the city of Corinth. Um, And what I learned when I went there is that the marketplace where everyone in town would go, if they needed to buy anything, was in the shadow of not one, but two temples to Greek gods. I have a a picture from my trip. Do we have that up here? So this is the the marketplace. You can see that kind of arch in the center there. That is the, the kind of center place of... The market. So anytime you needed anything, it was your one-stop shop. You needed meat and groceries, you go there. You needed a, a new rug, you go there. You needed something for uh, medicine for your family, you go there. Anything you need, you would go to this centralized place. And if you see uh, those pillars in the back behind it, those are the ruins to the temple of Apollo, the Greek god of the sun. Now, there, I mean, 20 feet apart, 30 feet apart. And this is where the Apostle Paul would have had his booth as a tent maker. He would have been in here preaching, talking with the people in Corinth, talking with the townspeople. And one of the things that he would have seen is when people would bring the meat down into the market, they would have to go right past temple to Apollo. And so just for good luck, to have meat that would sell quickly, that would bring an abundance of money in, that would nourish us well, they would offer the meat to the god Apollo. That was their custom. That was what they did. That was just what uh, what their custom was. Just to the left of this, I didn't have a a wide enough lens to get everything in, but just to the left of this is a bluff, and on the bluff, which overlooks all of this, is a temple to the Greek goddess Aphrodite. So you have this marketplace where all of this food is sold. This everyday life, people would be here every day, and they were in the shadow of these two Greek gods and goddesses. And not only this, but the higher-ups in Corinth at the time, those who were well-connected, those who were wealthy in society, they would come to the market, they would buy the meat, and then they would go into the temple of Apollo to share a meal together. Right? People who were... Not the higher-ups, people who were not very well-connected or wealthy in society. They would see all of this happening. They wouldn't have access. They wouldn't be able to go inside the temple to eat, but they would see this happening and say, well, maybe all oh, these rules aren't such a big deal anyways. Well, maybe, you know, if, if they're doing it and they're successful, then maybe it's okay for, for me to do it maybe those those old rules those old laws well maybe they just don't apply anymore because they're doing it right all of a sudden this is about much more than food offered to idols <laughs> right when paul is writing about this to the people in corinth he's talking to those wealthier or well connected those people in society who are Doing this, and that's why he starts off his whole discourse, this whole thing, by saying, "Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up." Did you catch that part at the beginning? Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Now, the prevailing wisdom was that those who were higher up in society were more knowledgeable. Right? They had more knowledge. They knew more. They were able to maybe even read. They were able to do all kinds of things, know all kinds of things, have all of these connections. They had more knowledge than people who were living on the margins. And Paul puts that view on notice. He says, all the knowledge in the world doesn't matter if you don't have love. And he comes back to this in chapter 13. Right, the famous chapter that he writes on love. This is just a few chapters after where he writes now. He starts the whole thing. He says, If I speak in the tongues of mortals but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal, he says. If I understand all the mysteries and have all knowledge, there he brings back this knowledge piece again, and have all knowledge and faith to move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. He centers all of this, not in what is knowledgeable, not in all of the knowledge that we can acquire, but rather what is loving. What is the loving thing to do? And this is the crux of it for Paul. It's a warning to those who are in power not to be so reckless with their power, not to be so reckless with their freedom that they cause others to stumble and fall. He says in verse 8 that food doesn't bring us closer to or further from God. He's saying it's not about the food that you eat. It's about the ways our actions are unloving or uncaring of other people. It's the way that those who were in power were disregarding other people. That was the cause for Paul's concern. Just because you are free in Christ, Paul says, that doesn't mean you can use your freedom in ways that are unloving to your neighbor. Martin Luther picks up on this in his Freedom of a Christian letter when he talks about being freed from the power of sin and death and freed for the cause of loving our neighbor. There's a theologian named Charles Campbell who writes about this passage and this has been so powerful, spoke so powerfully to me this week. It says it's love, not knowledge, is the shape of freedom from the powers of this age. Love, not knowledge, he says, is the shape of freedom from the powers of this age. And that love is the character of freedom for. That it's all, when you when you come down to it, it's all about the ways in which we are able to love one another. And we see this same friction between knowledge and love happening in Mark's Gospel as well. Jesus' first miracle in Mark's Gospel is healing this man and casting out the demon in the synagogue on the Sabbath. We hear that Jesus began teaching, and just then... There was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. This is significant because the knowledge or the law of the day says that this man should not even be in the synagogue. Right? Just then there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. The scandalous part is that he was in their synagogue. Right? Prevailing wisdom says he shouldn't even be allowed in. Jesus does something different. Jesus forsakes that prevailing wisdom of the day in order to love. He doesn't cast out the person. He casts out the demon. But he does whatever he can, whatever is in his power to keep the person, to hold the person close. And this astonishes the crowd. And we hear that his fame begins to spread. I think this is another example of a love that builds up. right? Keeping the person close. When all other prevailing wisdom says they should be cast out. I think when Paul talks about love that builds up, it's a reminder for the church that love is active. Love builds. Right? It's not just warm feelings or sentiments about someone. It's concrete action for the sake of another person. And when he says that love builds up, it requires us, it requires the whole church to start at the lowest point. Where do you start when you start to build? You start at the foundation, right? Right? calls us to start at the very foundation with those who are vulnerable and buried under the wheels of power. When Jesus casts out the demon and makes space for the man to remain in worship, it's a reminder that each person matters to God. So beloved in Christ, there is good news here for all. Good news here for each and every one of us. Those times when you are feeling lost or forsaken, those times where you are feeling left out, those times when you are feeling weak or down, God sees you. And God sends the whole church, the entire body of Christ there to be with you. And when things are on track for you, when things are going well, when things seem to be going your way and falling in place, God sees you. And celebrates with you. And then sends us, all of us, together, the body of Christ to build one another up in love. That's our call as the whole church of God. To build one another up in love. And for that we can say thanks be to God. Amen.